Welcome to San Francisco City Insider, the San Francisco Chronicle podcast on the people and politics making headlines in the city by the bay. I'm Chronicle columnist Heather Knight, and today we're bringing back one of our favorite episodes, an interview with police chief Bill Scott. He talked about rampant car break-ins and what the general public can do to prevent them. There's usually even more property crime in San Francisco during the holidays, so it's a good time to remember what you can do to lessen your chances of seeing that familiar puddle of shattered glass when you return to your car. Thanks for listening to this podcast from April 2nd, 2018. I'm columnist Heather Knight, and I've been writing a lot lately about car break-ins, homelessness, and injection drug use. Residents wonder why police aren't tackling these issues in a more aggressive way. So I went to San Francisco Police Chief Bill Scott to get some answers. Well, thank you for having us. You know that we've been writing a lot about car break-ins lately, Mm -hmm. um, and residents are just up in arms about how often their cars are getting broken into. Why do you think the city is such a hot spot for car break-ins, and why is it so hard to make arrests? Well, it, this city is a very target-rich environment. I mean, there was a lot of, you know, it's a tourist city, it's a world-class city, as we all know, and there's a lot of tourism here, and people, quite frankly, some come unsuspecting of, of that issue, and people leave things in their cars. I mean, look, we don't want to make people who have been victimized, victimized again by, by saying it's their fault, because it's not their fault that somebody chooses to break into the cars. The thing that I'm trying to say here is that I think you know what we need to do is really do a better job with getting people to understand not to make themselves an easy target. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's one thing. Uh, the other thing is you know, we we and I don't I can't explain the entire phenomenon, but we've seen a, a gradual increase in property crime in this city for about the last six years, and it has, in my opinion, become the crime of choice. It's, it's an easy, uh, somewhat easy with little bit less risk than uh, armed robbery and some of the other offenses that are a lot more risky and a lot more dangerous. So I, I think for some people who choose to you know, either in an opportunistic way or choose to make their living this way, it, it's a crime with uh, high rewards and low risk. You know, lower risk. I mean, right. It has risk, but lower it's risk. It's not that hard to see car break-ins happen right in front of your eyes. I mean, these guys are doing it in broad daylight on busy streets. Yeah. Why is it so hard to make arrests? Well, it, it's, you know, to see it when you're uh, in civilian clothes and have a person not thinking that you're going to either detect them or that you're law enforcement, that you're going to even do anything about it is one thing. But to do it when you're in uniform is another thing. Because when people are out there committing crimes, they're aware of their surroundings. And when they see a uniform presence police officer, they tend to not commit crimes mm-hmm. or tend to wait until we leave or go do it somewhere else. So... It, it, it is not easy to catch any crime in progress, you know, and, and sometimes we are fortunate we're in the right place at the right time, and that happens, that happens uh, quite a bit. But on the big scale of things, when you have you know, 31,000 or so auto burglaries like we did last year, the vast majority, majority of these crimes, the solvability factors are very, very low. So I get my car broken into 2 o'clock in the morning. I come out. I see glass on the street. I file a report online. I don't have time, to, and this is a typical scenario I'm laying out. Mm-hmm. Don't have time to, or, or the inclination to, you know, take my car to get it printed. I make a report. I get my window fixed. I go on about my business. That's the typical scenario. 
So in terms of solvability, oftentimes there's really no follow-up because there's no nothing that we have to follow up on. That's a difficult that's mm -hmm. a difficult crime. You take the other end of that spectrum where you have a, a crime against a person, whether it be a robbery or a homicide or something like that, where typically there's you know there may not be an eyewitness, but typically there's physical evidence, there's you know things like DNA and fingerprints and all these things that the solvability factor goes up exponentially. Can you so not get fingerprints off cars? When you can if uh -huh. people uh, choose to bring their cars in, they get them fingerprinted. I think we printed about, uh, I want to say 600 or so cars last year. Uh, Did that lead to anything? It, it led to a handful, of less than 20. Uh, of, you Out know, of 600. Yeah, right. so, but again, there's other factors that play in there. If the prints are inside the car, mm -hmm. It helps. If mm -hmm. the prints are outside the car, there's really no value uh, in terms of a case that can be prosecuted just, just on that. Uh -huh. Yeah, because, you know, you can walk by a car and touch it and without doing anything wrong. So look, this is just to say this is a difficult crime because the solvability factors are low. I mean, this is not an easy crime, and, and this city is not alone in, in that factor. I mean, there's, if you look at other cities, these crimes typically have a very low solve rate, typically, because of those factors that I just mentioned. Mm -hmm. uh, we do have plainclothes units. I mean, mm -hmm. that's part of when we restructured, re-engineered the department to, to address this issue. We, we disbanded one plainclothes unit, but a lot of those officers went back to their district stations and that expertise was shared with uh, other officers. So we have plainclothes units at all of our district stations and they do surveillance type of operations and we do, we're, we are able to make some arrests that way. Are there any other creative approaches you're trying? I get emails from readers who think they're <laughs> they're the experts, and they suggest bait cars or um, maybe putting a a laptop purposefully in a car and trying to get it stolen. Yeah, though, though we we haven't done any bait cars recently, and and those are um, those are tactical strategies that we you know that are plausible strategies. Some it it becomes. A matter of efficiency mm -hmm. too. I mean, look, our, our best bet is to try to reduce these numbers by prevention. That's mm -hmm. our best bet. I mean, fundamental purpose of law enforcement is to prevent crime, not to react to it. And 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 as corny as that sounds, this goes back to the 1800s, 1700s. Uh, that's the fundamental purpose of law enforcement. So that's why we're investing so much in this Park Smart campaign because if we can prevent crime. Mm -hmm. I think is a more efficient use of our resources. Now we do have to do enforcement. We, ha you know, that's a part of our jobs as well, and we have to solve crimes when they occur. These crimes are not easy to solve. You know, when we observe them on view, the officer makes an observation of a car burglary in progress. You know, we we we've done many of those, and uh, but it's not you're not going to solve 31,000 crimes that way. You know, yeah. it's just that's just not the reality. But some of the strategies that some of the you know people uh, bring to us. Some of them are being done, others are not. I don't know the bait cars for us right now is the most efficient mm -hmm. way to do business. Mm -hmm. We've gotten some early uh, good results from the redeployment and the foot patrols and increasing the number of officers in our field operations, our uniform officers, so we've gotten some some early success from that mm -hmm. that we hope to sustain. But I, for, for me, I think we want to invest in those type of things right now because mm -hmm. Again, it's about prevention and making making the targets harder, making us a more resilient city. I mean, that's really important. Yeah. So basically, you're telling people don't leave anything in, 
in your country. Well, yeah, we're going to continue to spread that message. I mean, look, you know, I, we all do it from time to time, but don't make yourself an easy target. And another big problem in San Francisco is the rampant injection drug use. You, I mean, see it all the time walking around downtown, Civic Center area, south of Market. I've been told that opioids are cheaper here in San Francisco than elsewhere on the West Coast. Is that the case? And if so, why is that? Uh, I don't know if it's any cheaper. And, and it, it, so you have a lot of factors that go mm -hmm. into drug production, manufacturing. I mean, part of it is w what what are they putting in it? Mm -hmm. You know, if you're if you're cutting your drugs, if you're a drug dealer with 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 junk, yeah, it might be cheaper, but. We also, the, the other part of that is, you, you know, people are dying. So I don't know that we're any cheaper when it comes to, you know, pure narcotic products, but that, that topic is very, very much dependent on what's being sold. Right. So what are you seeing being sold? In yeah, you get a little bit of everything. You, you know, fentanyl is a, a worry for us. Mm -hmm. it's, it's lethal. Mm -hmm. In very small dosage, it's lethal. And... But you get all kind of stuff out there that's just not made for human consumption, and people end up, you know, either smoking it, inhaling it, or shooting it at their arms and pay disastrous health consequences. But to, to get to your question about the street drug use, we have some issues, and these issues are pervasive. I mean, there are a lot of addicted people on the streets of our city, right? Um, there's a lot of support out there for people that want to get help, the question is, um, how can we get the people to those resources? And sometimes it takes the intervention of law enforcement to do that, and we have a program designed to do that called LEAD, L-E-A-D, Law Enforcement Assisted Diversion, which we just uh, wrote out the pilot at the end of last year. And those type of strategies and measures, I think, will help get us to where we want to go. And LEAD is fairly new. How and does that work? So basically, when officers come across, let's say I'm shooting up mm -hmm. on the street, and officers uh, observe that, they have an option to offer services to me. And if I agree to the services, then I don't get entered into the criminal justice system. In other words, that arrest is held in abeyance. They don't mm -hmm. even get booked. Mm -hmm. So if I, if I don't get the services, then... I'll get, you know, cited, booked, or whatever whatever the, the criminal justice procedure for that particular crime is or that offense is. The idea being that if we can get people in the services and start getting them on a the road to uh, treating that addiction, at the end of this all, you, you're not going to have the person cycling in and out of jail. The recidivism will go down, the mm -hmm. rate of recidivism. Now, this is not a perfect science, and what other cities have found that have engaged in this is that Oftentimes, that person has to be touched over and over again before they, uh, you know, the services take take root, and and, and so uh, we expect to see that as well. It, it, we're early on in this process, but w you know, we're not doing it all over the city. We we started out in pilot areas, Powell Street, uh, 16th and Mission, but I'm excited about it because I think that will help to address some of what we're talking about. Mm -hmm. The other part of this is working with the district attorney's office and the you know, whatever the court systems, when people end up having to get entered in the criminal justice system, again, there's services available. It's a matter of really sustaining the effort because addiction is not a, a in my opinion and what I've learned, is not cut and dry where one 
entry in a program is you know necessarily going to do the trick. Right. So we have to sustain these efforts, and some people you gotta you gotta go back again and again and try to get them into services. And what is the city's policy? Because it seems like, from my point of view, and from a lot of just regular residents who live here, that it's okay to shoot up on the sidewalks of San Francisco and nothing happens. Uh, no, it's not okay. I mean, it's not okay, but I can tell you, it's an overwhelming problem. It's still against the law. Um, it's one of those things where we're trying to find a balance. I mean, most people that you talk to, including me, I don't necessarily think that the answer is to fill our jails with people who are addicted. Yeah. And I think that's been a will of the voters mm -hmm. by you know, the legislation that has been passed. And so we have to respond to that. I mean, we have to respond to really the will of the people. I think people want to see something done. Mm -hmm. uh, and oftentimes, law enforcement can be used as leverage to get people into services but if the issue is addiction then we need to treat the addiction if right. the issue is on the other side you know the, the dealers and the and the, the people that are preying upon upon vulnerable populations you know that's another story i mean you know that, that's still very much illegal and we still do do enforcement and operations and all the things that we've always done with 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 those individuals but if we're talking about the user which do you is kind what of leave that up to about. officers' discretion? The user, or what do you? What is your instruction? To well, no, the officers do have some discretion. Number one, it's it's a citable offense, you know. Whereas if I'm shooting up, you name the drug, uh, in most, in all cases, it's a misdemeanor, right? In most cases, that's a citable offense. So, if the officers cite that particular person, they're still going to be on the street. And as soon as the officer leaves, if they're addicted and they, you know, got the money to buy drugs or score, you know, it's just the cycle continues. So that's why things like lead and getting people using law enforcement where we can as leverage, I think, is, is a strategy that is probably our best bet right now. Because, yeah, it's still very much illegal, but, you know, the laws are the laws. It's a misdemeanor. And in this city, a misdemeanor is a citable offense unless there are certain conditions that are met. What is the mayor's instruction to you on, on that issue? And the mayor uh, is looking for collaboration from the city departments. You know, we work closely with the Department of Public Health. We work closely with the fire department, um, the police department. I mean, those are the big three for this issue. And we have to work together on this issue. I mean, a lot of these issues that we're talking about uh, go beyond addiction. You have people that, you know, have some state of mental, mental health issues, and then there's an addiction problem on top of that. Well, both of those things have to be addressed, and if the addiction gets us into the criminal justice world, then that's where we come in. But we still need to go back to what's the root cause of this, and that's right. where the Department of Public Health, and the mayor has been real big on pushing collaboration, mm -hmm. because this is not a one department can fix this. Were you surprised by how open it is when you came to San Francisco? I mean, no, I, 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 you see this in other cities as well. I mean, I think San Francisco, because it's so condensed, mm -hmm. uh, I think that makes it more visible. I mean, in you know, the city I came from, Los Angeles, is 464 square miles. There's places to hide, you know. There's places that, you know, you go somewhere in the, in the, in the woods and people don't see you. Uh, here, it's a very condensed city, so uh -huh. where a lot of these issues are, it's, it's in the center of a very populated area, a very traveled area, so it's more visible. And you're but, a supporter of the safe injection sites, right? Well, I, look, I think I'm supportive of any options that are going to help save some of the lives that we see needlessly lost. Mm -hmm. I'm a law enforcement guy, mm -hmm. so of course my job is to enforce the law. And 
illegal drug use is, is illegal. Uh, but if we have an option that's going to you know, help save lives, get people off the streets, maybe get them into some of these services that we're talking about, how can I be against that? Right. You know, I think we got to be willing to try new things. I think we got to be willing to think outside the box. And we know that the answer of just, just enforcement has not worked well for, for us as a society. And I don't think it'll work well for the city. So that's why the mayor is preaching collaboration. I'm preaching collaboration and safe injection sites if they happen, which they will in this city, I, th I think we got to be open to it, you know. They're on track, I think, to open in July, the first one or two. Do you think that once those open, it'll make it easier for you guys to say there is this other place you can go, you can't be here on the sidewalk doing it so publicly? Well, I think it's, I think it's an avenue to relieve some of the things that people are seeing on the streets that really drive a lot of the frustration. I mean, nobody, nobody wants to, you know, see that. Yeah, most people don't anyway. And I think that is an avenue that will help uh, relieve a little bit of that. It's not going to be the end all because, you know, there's, we got to start off slow when the city opens these facilities and it's not going to be the end all, but I think it'll help. Yeah. And again, look, we're talking about trying to save lives. I mean, there's a lot of people and I won't, I don't know about you, but there's a lot of people, including myself, who have had either somebody we know or somebody in our family that have been impacted by these type of issues. So I don't think, you know, any of us want to see people dying in the streets. No. Have you had somebody in your family? Absolutely, I've had people in my family addicted, and, and it's it's not an easy thing to look at, you know, mm -hmm. see people go through that, so, um, and friends as well. So, mm -hmm. you know, it's an issue that impacts us all, and we all need to care about trying to find ways to do it, and law enforcement, through our, you know, enforcement or whatever ways that we can do our part, we need to do that, but there's a whole another side to this that we have to be open to, and we have to work, we law enforcement have to work with the other partners, whether it be non-government agencies or government agencies, mm -hmm. to make this make this situation better than what it is right now. Mm -hmm. Who in your family struggled with that? Well, I don't, you know, I don't want to okay. disclose that, but yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely, you know, family and friends, so. Mm -hmm. And I've heard from a lot of people that they report quality of life crimes like car break-ins, ten encampments blocking sidewalks, injection drug use happening in the open, and police officers shrug and say there's nothing we can do about this. I've probably heard that kind of anecdote 50 times in the past few months. Um, why do you think there is that perception that the police officers feel they're just stuck on this? Can you respond to uh, that? Well, I, I've never been that type of person at any point in my career because I think there's always something that we can do. Maybe the frustration comes from uh, people feeling like they cannot solve the problem. Mm -hmm. And, you know, police officers get call to resolve people's issues in you know, one way or another, and sometimes uh, you have to really look past, this is not uh, something that we can do individually or as a, as a department. We're part of a bigger picture here, and I think that can cause some frustration, but I've never subscribed to that ever in my 28 plus years. Do you ever I, hear that from your officers, that they feel that way? I, yeah, I've heard it throughout my career, and I, I nobody's told me that to my, you know, my face here since I've been a chief here, but I, I definitely believe that you know, some officers may get frustrated and feel that way. But there's always something we can do, something mm -hmm. that we mm -hmm. can do. You know, we may not have all the answers, but there's something we can always do. I mean, it, it's when, when people call us for help, the last thing they want to hear is there's nothing I can do. Yeah. If what should they be? What should your officers be saying, for example, when a tent encampment's blocking somebody's front sidewalk? Well, I mean, if a tent encampment is blocking a sidewalk, I mean, there's still city ordinances that pro prohibit that. So, you know, th there's an enforcement angle there. Now, 
let's be practical about this. Let's say there's an enforceable infraction there, a uh, violation of the, the police municipal code. Somebody's got a tent blocking the sidewalk. People are having to walk in the street to get around. That's enforceable. The question becomes when the person refuses to leave, then what's our, what's our answer as law enforcement? And we can force the issue. But we have to keep these things in perspective as to what they are. You, know, you got a homeless person, and you know this department, me, the department, the officers don't advocate criminalizing homelessness. Right. That's not the issue. The issue is when somebody calls and complains about a legitimate infraction, then it's our job to try to resolve that issue. You now, resolving issues sometimes is sometimes just negotiating with a person to make this situation where it's not an infraction. Mm -hmm. Sometimes that that is the answer. You know. Uh, sometimes people, we can negotiate the situation and people move on. You know, they may move somewhere else, but they move on and the person who called is satisfied. So we have to be really, I think, prudent about practicality when dealing with this issue mm -hmm. because most people that I talk to, when they call us on that type of issue, they're not expecting us to confiscate people's stuff and take them to jail. I mean, we have to, we have to do this with some compassion. Right. They're expecting us to work through it, and you know, sometimes that takes a lot of patience. And particularly if somebody's uh, got you know mental crisis or they're they're you know impaired, drugs, alcohol, it it takes time. But we have to continue to try to do that. And if enforcement is the final option, then that's what we do. But we try to get people service. What do you think of San Francisco so far? You've been here a little over a year. It's a great city. Yeah. We got some challenges, but <laughs> you know nothing. It's a lot of smart people here and a lot of people that care. Yeah. So the thing is, uh, regardless of what side of the issue you may be on, you know, not everybody's going to agree with some of the things that I've told you today. There are some people that are very law and order, lock them up. There are some people that nobody should go to jail, and then there's the middle. So the point is, when people are engaged and they care, you tend to come up with better solutions, mm -hmm. and I think the city is, can be proud of that piece. Because when people engage, you, you, you tend to get better results at the end and better outcomes. So, uh, There's a rumor that you're being wooed by the L.A. PD. <laughs> True, false? Look, they're, they're, you know, sitting in this position, this is a high-profile city. I've gotten uh, interest from several cities. Right now, I am focused on being the chief here. So How long do you think you'll stick around? Yeah, well, you know, that's, that's, that's up to uh, the people that hire me. So... <laughs> But I like it here. I'm focused on being a chief here, and you know we got a lot of work to do. Last question: um, You're a neighbor of AT&T Park. When the Dodgers come to town, who are you going to root for? <laughs> I'm still a Dodgers fan. <laughs> what? So, I am still a Dodgers <laughs> fan. Now, I, that doesn't mean I can't like the Giants. I like the Giants, but when they're playing the Dodgers, <laughs> I got to go with the Dodgers. Oh man! Okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> thank you so much thank for you. talking with me okay, today. Thank you. San Francisco City Insider is part of the San Francisco Chronicle Podcast Network. Audrey Cooper is the editor-in-chief, and Dominic Fercasa is this podcast's producer. If you like this show, please subscribe and give us a quick review wherever you get your podcasts. Have questions or tips? Email hnight at sfchronicle.com or find me on Twitter at hnightsf. Support San Francisco City Insider and a lot of great journalism with a print or digital subscription to the San Francisco Chronicle. Find out more at sfchronicle.com slash subscribe.